0: We continue uh, our study of the wonderful, wonderful little New Testament book of Philippians, which uh, brings us uh, today to uh, chapter 3. And uh, you may remember when we began our study of Philippians, I highlighted for you uh, five recurring themes that just literally weave their way throughout the entire book. And although we have only completed uh, the first two chapters of the book, we've already seen all five. Uh, Do you remember what they are? (laughs) Well, let me help you. The first, the priority of living and sharing the gospel. Uh, Second, the secret of true joy. Uh, Third, the importance of attitude or right thinking in the Christian life. Fourth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Which will be a significant focus here in chapter 3. And then the motivation to live for Christ in light of His return. Now let me go back to that first theme. Uh, now also let me just, so everybody can sort of relax. I'm never going to get through that message this morning, okay? So just relax. Uh, we'll pick it back up next Sunday. All I'm going to have the opportunity today is to uh, lay the foundation. Uh, And uh, I'll see if I can do that in the time that I have. But I do want to go back to that first theme, the priority of living and sharing the gospel. We define the gospel as the good news. The good news about what? That Jesus Christ can be ours right now and forever uh, through His sin-forgiving death on the cross and His life-giving resurrection from the grave. This emphasis on the gospel in the book of Philippians should not surprise anyone that has any familiarity uh, with the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the dominant theme of the entire New Testament. When you look at the four gospels of Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mean, what do you discover? You discover the presentation of the gospel in the person and work of Christ. He's the main character who emptied His deity into human flesh to become a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as our substitute for our sins, and rose again to give forgiveness and to give His life to all who put their trust in Him. In the book of Acts, we have what? The proclamation of the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, extending to Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. When you come to the epistles of the New Testament, we have the exposition, the illumination of the gospel to enable believers, you and I, to be able to see, to appropriate, to enjoy uh, all that we possess in our relationship with Christ, and then in that relationship to be empowered to live and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ before others. Then in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we have what? The culmination of the gospel as Jesus establishes a new heaven and earth with His redeemed church, His bride at His side to reign and rule with Him throughout eternity. But right along, now that's the dominant theme of the entire New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But right along with that dominant theme of the gospel is a corollary theme that runs also throughout the entire New Testament. Having clearly set forth the gospel, every one of the writers of the New Testament are concerned that people have the proper faith response to the gospel and experience authentic salvation. Therefore, the New Testament constantly challenges professing believers to examine themselves to determine if their faith is genuine. This begins when John the Baptist confronts the religious Pharisees who thought they were God's favorites and on their way to heaven. He said, you brood of vipers, who warn you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And then you don't have to go much further. You get to the Sermon on the Mount. And there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice, according to Jesus, there will be not just a few, but many people who think they know him. Who think they're on the way to heaven. But they are deceived. They call him Lord. They do acts of service in Jesus' name. No one will be more surprised than they are when Jesus shuts the door to heaven and they are cast into hell. Jesus also gave the parable of the wheat and the tares to illustrate wherever God plants the true, the devil is what? Planting the false. Right alongside of true believers, there's always going to be counterfeit, counterfeit believers who have a false sense of assurance when you come to the book of Acts chapter 8 we find a man named Simon Magus. He made a public profession of faith. He was baptized. He continued on with uh, Philip and some of the other followers of Christ. But in the end we discover that his profession was false. He was deceived and he became a deceiver. Early church tradition named Simon as the founder of what later came to be known as Gnosticism. One of the greatest heresies in the history of the church. Simon even later claimed to be deity, to be God Himself. The epistles are literally filled with warnings about false assurance of salvation. Paul constantly is contrasting the truth over against its counterfeits. He warns of those who profess to know God, but by their deeds deny Him. He talks about those who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Paul exhorted the members of the church at Corinth to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. James describes the dead faith of those who have nothing more than a head knowledge about Jesus, who give an intellectual assent to Christ, but they're living a fruitless life. Peter and Jude, they both expose false teachers that infiltrate the church and lead people to a counterfeit faith. John wrote his first epistle to distinguish genuine Christianity from its counterfeits. And in the book, he gives seven distinguishing traits of a born-again individual, and he also gives, gives seven tests of genuine Christianity. Then you go to the book of Revelation, and John writes about the church at Sardis, who had a name that it lived, but in reality it was what? Dead. How about the church at Laodicea? I mean, they thought they knew Christ. I mean, they were literally on spiritual cruise control from their perspective, thinking everything was fine between them and God. While in reality, Jesus is where? He's outside the church. Sickened, nauseated, the Bible says, concerning their superficial faith. Tragically, as Jesus said, many who think they're on the narrow road leading to heaven are actually on the broad road leading to hell. Therefore, running right alongside the theme of the gospel is the theme of the authenticity of one's faith. And this brings us to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is one of those messages that deals with what authentic Christianity is over against its counterfeit. And I've entitled this message, Religion of Works or Relationship with Christ. And, uh, and so let's begin by reading uh, verses one through three. Let's just read these three verses. Philippians chapter three, verses one through three. He says, Finally, my brethren. And by the way, that word finally doesn't mean that he's closing, it's obvious. He's still got most of the book. It, 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 that word literally means more so then. Uh, he, he's moving forward. You know, it's like one little boy asks his dad, Daddy, when the preacher says finally, what does that mean? And the dad said nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, so uh, I hope I don't do that today. But uh, so he's saying, "So then, my brethren, uh, rejoice in the Lord." Uh, contextually, he's 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 sort of tying this in to verses 17 and 18 of uh, chapter two, where he talked about the great joy that he personally, Paul, was experiencing. Why? Because. He was having the ac- opportunity to sacrifice himself for the sake of the faith of the Philippians. Because remember, he's imprisoned. There's a po- good possibility, he doesn't know what... Th- He's going to be martyred. I mean, he doesn't know what the outcome of his imprisonment is going to be. And he expresses in verses 17 and 18 this tremendous joy. The fact that he's rejoicing, that he has this opportunity to sacrifice his life on behalf of the faith of the Philippians. And then there's a little, this little parenthesis where he talks about, as we saw last week, of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And how they were going to be sent to the church. But then he sort of picks up that theme of joy again here. And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. In other words, he's talking about what he's about to write. He said, okay, I'm about to repeat something, and I realize that, but sometimes repetition is necessary, and and in this case, I believe this is a safeguard for you. And then here's his warning. Verse 2, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision!" For we are the true circumcision. Notice that now. Here's one of those passages where he's contrasting the false over against that which is true. And then he says, the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So now turn to your sermon notes, and we're not going to get very far, but look at the introduction. Look at the introduction. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3, paints a contrast between two groups who both profess to be Christians in order to clarify who is a true child of God. The first group in verse 2, and we'll be looking at a moment about who exactly they are, he he calls them dogs, evil workers in the false circumcision. The second group in verse 3 are those who what? The true circumvent, who worship the Spirit, glory in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. The contrast that we're going to see between the two groups revealed the distinction between those who profess to be the people of God and those who are the people of God. Between those who have an external mark, identifying them with God, and we're going to talk about what that means in a moment. And those who have had an internal makeover, making them like God between those who have a religion of works and those who have a relationship with Christ. We must always be alert uh, that the, for the reality that everything that calls itself Christian is not necessarily the real deal. I hope you understand that. You know, in reality, you know, one of the most profound things I've heard Francis Schaeffer say, one of the greatest theologians we've ever known in church history who passed away in the early 80s. He said, really, the greatest enemy... the person of Jesus is the name Jesus. And what he meant by that was how people will take the name of Jesus and totally distort that. And where people embrace a false Jesus. They embrace a false gospel. And that sort of is what we're dealing with right here. So again, go back to your sermon notes and let's look at the historical context and we'll be able to answer who he's talking about in verse 2. Verse 2, those dogs The evil workers, the false circumcision, refer to the Judaizers, Judaizers. Judaizers believed Jesus died on the cross. They believed He rose from the dead. They believed He was the true Messiah. They taught this. But they also taught that before a Gentile could be saved, he had to become a Jew and observe the law of Moses, including circumcision for all males. Although Judaizers professed to believe in Christ, they taught a false gospel where salvation was on the basis of works, not on the grace of God alone. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15. I, I wish we had more time to, to delve into the Judaizers, but I, I just have a few brief moments, and I want to touch on uh, just a couple other things before we, we close. But many of you are familiar with Acts 15. It's, it's, it's the Jerusalem Council. It's where the uh, uh, church leadership came together, uh, shortly after the church was was birthed, to deal with what became the greatest problem in the early New Testament church, and that was this issue of the Judaizers. Now, now keep in mind, so that, that you can appreciate, you know, the the issue here. In in the earliest uh, times of the New Testament church, what the believers were all Jews. They were all Jews. And then all of a sudden, through uh, Peter and Cornelius and especially Paul's Gentiles begun, begin coming to know Jesus. And these, these, these Jews are trying to figure out, you know, how do we relate to all of this? And, and look at verse 1, Acts 15, 1, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, well, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I mean, the, the the you know these these Jewish believers saying, wait, we're the we're the covenant people of God. And 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 salvation comes through the Jew. And so, you know, you 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 Gentiles, we we we, we appreciate, you know, your 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 belief, your faith in Jesus, but hey, you can't be saved unless you first become a Jew, unless you become circumcised. Look down there at verse 5. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So that's the historical background. And, And although we may not be dealing with Judaizers today, we may not be dealing as Gentiles with those who come to us and say, Hey, Andy, you need to be circumcised to be saved. And you need to observe the law of Moses to be saved. You know, it's a mixture of, of works and, and grace. But, of course, the works just negates the grace. Although we may not be dealing with that today, folks, we have plenty of folks running around saying if you want to be right with God, you got to do this or that. Right? So, so look at in your notes at the relevance for today. What's the relevance for us today? Three things. First, there are only two religions in the world. That's right. Let me explain that. One is the religion of human achievement, where the key word is due, and salvation is earned through works. The other is a religion of divine accomplishment, where the key word is done. And salvation is a pure gift of grace received from God through faith in Christ alone. Therefore, we must beware of those who try to impose a legalistic code, a to-do list, as a means to earn salvation or progress in sanctification. Now think about that. That's, that's, a, that's a somewhat a staggering statement. You can take... All the religions of the world. You, you, know, you, you put authentic, authentic Christianity right here. And then you can take everything else. I mean, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, all the Christian sects, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. I mean, you can throw everything else in one lump. And you say, well, man, there's all these different religions. But there's one common denominator that leaks them all. And it's human achievement. Whatever their heaven is, however they describe their heaven." Whatever their salvation is, however they describe their salvation, you only obtain it by achieving their to-do list. Christianity is the lone religion that says, no, it's not due, it's done. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's putting your trust and what he accomplished for you, receiving that as a free gift of grace through faith. Look at the second relevance, and this is what I'm most excited about in this text, and won't even be able to touch on it today. It'll be next week. Philippians three three may be the most concise definition of an authentic Christian in the entire New Testament. I personally believe it is the most concise definition of an authentic Christian in the entire New Testament. This, this is just a staggering statement as he describes a true believer, calling them the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And then the third relevance for today in this met is, let me just use that passage, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourselves. To see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. So as we go through this message next week. You need to ask it. Do I have a religion of works? Or do I have a relationship with Christ? On the basis of grace. Through through faith alone. And I would love to go on. But I think we just need to stop. uh, Right there. I was hoping to get a little bit further uh, today. But that at least gives us a foundation, you know, the, you know to help you see the, the, what, are probably, what are probably the two most dominant themes in the entire New Year. First, the, the most dominant theme, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And running right along with that, this matter of authenticity, of having a genuine faith. And then coming to this passage and realizing that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's saying, you know, you need to be careful. There, there, there is the counterfeits out there. And you want to make sure that you don't get swayed uh, from that which is true, and you begin to embrace error and lead others to do that. And also, as we go through this, let me just say this, and then we'll move into the invitation. Let me just say, this is not only going to apply to salvation, but sanctification. I really appreciate uh, one of our elders, Alan, we were were talking about this in uh, our elders meeting uh, the other night, and... uh, And he was talking about years ago, uh, a a much older believer that uh, was greatly respected. He actually said to Alan, he said, you know, Alan, this matter of justification, when you came to know Christ, that was all Jesus. But now that you know Jesus, Alan, this matter of growth and now it's all about you and your efforts and what you do. And folks, there are many believers that have fallen into that trap. That although they've come to know Christ through faith, they've received that free gift of God's grace, now they think going forward, you know, it's all on them. And uh, we'll deal with that as we go forward as well. So as we go into the invitation, I know this has been a uh, a much different service uh, today, especially with the emphasis on Memorial Day and the fact of only being able to lay this foundation. Uh, but we have laid this foundation. Uh, you've heard what the gospel is it is the good news. The good news about what? Jesus Christ. What about Jesus? That he can be yours right now and forever, right? Through his death, sin forgiving death on the cross, and his life giving resurrection. From the grave. And possibly God has, in His providence has supernaturally brought you in here this morning. And you do not know Him. And you've heard the truth. And you've heard Jesus' love for you and what He did for you. And I would invite you uh, to put your trust in the only Savior that can bring you salvation. And that's Jesus. The one who died for you rose again. And so make your heart His home as you invite Him in to forgive you of your sins. Take control of your life. And then for you that are believers, we've just set this stage. Would you, would you just during this time of invitation, would you just say, God, as we go forward in this truth, will you speak to me? Lord, I, I just want to say right now, I, I want to use this as an opportunity to test my faith, to come to the assurance that it's genuine. Or if not, then to make things right and to embrace the truth so just 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 expose your heart before God and say Lord as we go forward just speak to my heart either driving home that yes you're the real I'm the real deal and I know genuine salvation or if it's the other that you'll have the opportunity to come uh, to the truth so please stand and uh, join us in our invitation if you've been visiting looking for a church home we'd love you to come forward to unite with our church so you just be obedient to the Lord